You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to it now. Uh, we do believe very much the Bible is God's Word. Uh, we have these Bibles there on the welcome desk. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one. If English is not your first language and you would like us to get you a Bible in your own language, speak to me afterwards and we will get you one. We do think these are well worth reading. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. If you could turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to be speaking from there. Just to give a little bit of background to the story. This is a true story. I believe the Bible is a true story. Jacob is the second born of twins. His brother is called Esau. Uh, Esau was the hairy redhead. He was a hunter, the favorite of his father, who was called Isaac. Jacob, though, was the quiet homeboy, the favorite of his mother called Rebecca. The two boys have even wrestled in the womb, and Jacob is given his name because when he comes out of his mum, literally he's grabbing the heel of his brother. And uh, Jacob actually means heel grabber. There you go. That's a nice name, isn't it? I know that we've got some babies due between now and Christmas, you know, and if you think heel grabber would be a great one, use it. <laughs> he grabbed so much in life that he grabbed the birthright off of his brother. Now, in those days, if you were born first, you were considered special. I'm the middle child. I've got two brothers. You know, the older one, they were considered really special. They had the birthright. He managed to nick it off his older brother. Not only that, in those days, if you were the older brother, you got a special blessing from your father. He managed to nick that too. And so being the kind of guy that he is, he decides to run because his brother wants to kill him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 28 and verse 10. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He's running, yeah? I mean, he's just literally stolen this blessing. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it there above it stood the Lord and he said I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you, and wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he'd placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. 
though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am making and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story that's been recorded for us in your book. I'm so keen that you speak to us through it. Oh, Father, we come and we recognize our our need of you. We do come this morning and say, would you please speak into every heart that is here today. We want our heads to be informed. We want our hearts to be expanded. We want our lives to be changed because we've heard from you. We don't want to settle for anything else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This year... This summer, something happened in our family, which I feel quite proud about. Nikki and I, uh, Nikki is my wife, she's out serving on the kids this morning, obviously getting a bit older in life, and she's had to get glasses first. I mean, not that I like to rub that stuff kind of stuff in, but suddenly, you know, she said, I can't read my Bible anymore. And I thought, is she um, falling away from God? She said, no, the print is just too small. And so she's been off and she's got herself, now, I don't need glasses, Well, I don't know if I need glasses because I won't have my eyes checked. You know what I'm saying? I'm still proud. I'm still younger than 50 and I think I'm not going to go for them yet. I want to ask you the question. What do you think about what you see in God? Are you a bit like me that's too proud to get a checkup? Or are you more like my wife who's wise enough to realize that actually my focus is not quite as good as it used to be and suddenly she says everything's so much clearer? You see, I think as we approach this morning, which we've called Vision Morning, some of us can end up like me, and we think, I'm okay, (laughs) you know, I'm all right. Or some of us maybe have got the wisdom and the humility of my wife to say, actually, I probably just need to have my vision rechecked. I feel that God would love to challenge us this morning and inspire us again about what is our vision. And I feel that I'd like to do it from this story. I guess the first point that I want to make out of that, which I feel comes straight from this, is the first thing that I would say, if we can have any vision at all, is we've got to realize what I've called the grace of forgiveness. The grace of forgiveness. Jacob, and we've heard lots about people that have have literally fled their homeland this week. Jacob was like that. This wasn't a short walk that he was going on. They reckoned that it was 550 miles for those of you that are in sort of, you know, modern measurements, 900 kilometers Jacob was about to travel. I mean, basically, he's obviously fallen out with home. He has a long, long journey to go on. There would have been difficulties on the way. I don't know how they worked this out, but one commentary that I read this week said they reckoned he'd gone about 60 miles by the time he'd gone to this point. They think it probably would have been day two or day three. The, the sort of joy of the journey has probably slipped by. You know what I'm saying? The novelty of it is almost like, all oh, right, we're off, we're going. You know, you probably start thinking, oh man, alive, I've got a blister. I've got a, a friend and his two boys went up to the Lake District together. 
which I thought was a lovely one. Son's at university. One's just finished his A-levels, and they went camping in the Lake District, and they decided to walk 30 miles a day carrying their tents. And they said after the first day, they just suddenly realized the blisters, but they had to keep going, you know, because they... I wonder how Jacob would have felt like this. I'll tell you this, I know that Jacob would have felt alone. This is the first time in the Bible that Jacob is recorded as alone. I told you that he was a twin, so even in the womb, he had somebody else as a, a companion. We know that then he was born, and we know that actually he was always hanging around the home with his mother. We know that actually he goes in and gets blessing with his father, and then suddenly it's almost like God gets him to be alone. I wonder what thoughts were going through his head as he lay down at night. I guess because we know the story, you wonder if there was some remorse at tricking his older father. I wonder if there was some relief at being away from his brother. I wonder if there was some apprehension about where's this journey going to take me. I wonder if there was a sense of loneliness as he lays down. I've got nothing. I'm completely on my own. I guess what we do know, what we do know is about him, he was not a pilgrim. He was not seeking God. He was not what the Bible would call a prodigal. He was not like, I've messed up and I'm turning back to God. All we know is that he was running. He was running from his family and he lays down for this. God breaks in. I mean, I love this story, don't you? It's almost like, I mean, he's just a bad boy. The Bible is not full of just lots of good people. I, I, I don't know how you describe it. Maybe you think you are doing all right. Maybe, maybe this year's going really well for you. But for Jacob, that wasn't the case. He recognized that he didn't recognize. He was running and in trouble. God recognized he needed help. And in grace... He came and forgave him. I find it absolutely astounding, don't you? Do you recognize your need of forgiveness? So I said, no, 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 I'm okay. I try my best. I think the Bible says we need forgiveness. If you were to really lay down last thing at night and think through your day, what have I said? What have I done? What do I regret? What do I wish I hadn't done? If I, if I could just take time back, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't rewind life. Sometimes we'd like to, wouldn't we? I wish I'd never said that. And I, I could, you know, if, if I hadn't told that lie, I wouldn't have told this one. I wouldn't be there. I wish I'd never watched that. And it, it would have. Do you recognize your need of forgiveness? Billy Graham, who some would have considered, you know, the iconic Christian of our day, the Christian life is not a constant eye. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, Oh God, forgive me or help me. Do you recognize your need of that forgiveness from God? Do you recognize, Oh God, I've got to cry out to you. I think this is where vision has got to start with, recognizing our need of him. Now you might say, How do I know if I've got forgiveness? Well, Rick Warren, he leads a church called Saddleback in California. He says, you know when you've experienced grace and you feel like you've been forgiven because you're a lot more forgiving of other people. You're a lot more gracious to others. You see, and this story, I think, is a story of grace and forgiveness. 
Now, some people have called this Jacob's Ladder, and I found a picture. This is not you know, a historical picture. This came out of a French Bible in the uh, 18th century. And so how they depicted this, this is Jacob lying down here, and they're saying about angels going up and down to heaven. Now, suddenly you can think, okay, Pete, if I want to know forgiveness, have I got to try and find this portal to another universe? Have I got to try and find this wardrobe that, you know, the kids go through in Narnia to suddenly get to this other world? No, we're not thinking about a place. We're actually thinking about a person. You think, well, that doesn't look like a person to me, Pete. But we know that when Jesus meets Nathanael in John chapter 1, in John chapter 1 verse 51, he says, Very truly, I tell you, heaven will open and the angels of heaven will ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And so basically, I would say that this whole thing of connecting with God, this grace and forgiveness, it's not about a place, it's about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And even in this story, Jacob, there's no lecture for him. There's no recounting of sins. There's no going over the past. There's no guilt. There is forgiveness. Some of you need to hear that again. There is forgiveness for you today. There's forgiveness. What? Oh, but should I tell you how bad I am? No, there's forgiveness. We don't hear Jacob even having to say there was just forgiveness. God came and met him where he is. Man alive. I could say that again because I've not heard a hallelujah yet. You know what I'm saying? Do we realize what, what I'm really saying? What, whoa, there's forgiveness. Some of you still think, what have I got to do? You see, what this story tells us is there's a grace to it. It's freely given. It's not what you deserve. It's not what you earn. Joyce Meyer, she's an American Christian author and speaker, says, when you make a mistake... And the devil comes and tells you you're no good. You don't have to take on the guilt and condemnation he wants to put on you. No, you can immediately confess your mistake to God. Thank him for forgiving you and cleansing you with the blood of Jesus. And move forward in the victory of his grace and forgiveness. That's the truth of it. There is a gift of the grace of forgiveness. And so before we think about a vision, about what we're going to do, what we need to come again is think, God, are you really giving me that forgiveness? I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? We can skip the next slide and go on to the one of the picture that they would have thought about in the, um, New Te- in the Old Testament. There was another structure that was built in Genesis, and it wasn't the stairway to heaven. It was the Tower of Babel. And this was in Genesis 11. Again, this is a picture taken out of an old French Bible. I don't think they wore those clothes in Genesis 11. (laughs) But what I found so fascinating about this, and obviously it contradicts so so well to the other picture, is this one is not completed. This one started in earth and tried to get to heaven, but never made it. Whereas the other one, it says it went from heaven to earth. There's this sense of actually God coming down and meeting with us. You see, the whole thing of grace is not us trying to build our way up to God. They would have thought about these two structures in in Genesis and suddenly thought, oh, oh, okay, I I thought we had to try. This was when people got together and thought, maybe, just maybe we could do something and meet God. I think we can still live in a society where we can think like that. Actually, maybe, Pete, if I invited everybody to Alpha, I could get myself to God. Maybe... If I could get here early enough that I could set up the chairs, I could get my way to God. 
And do we still live like Babel or do we still live like Jacob's ladder? Is it about us getting to God or is the vision about God coming to us? Because I think that is clearly what this story is teaching to us. There is grace. We will never do enough to get to God. Brennan Manning, he was a Catholic author, priest and public speaker, who's recently died, says, Our huffing and puffing to impress God, our scrambling for brownie points, our thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing in guilt, our nauseating to God, and a flat-out denial of the gospel of grace. I mean, he's saying that if you try and get to God, God just is sick of it. (laughs) You're denying his grace to you. And so the first thing that I would love to take out of this, this, what is our vision? Our vision is this. God loves me because he loves me. Grace means this. He cannot love you any more or any less. You cannot do anything to earn his love. Wow. Now, some of you, if you're wired like I am, think, Pete, why on earth start a vision morning like that? What you really should be saying is give more, do more, work harder. That's coming, trust me. But the real reality is this. Our vision should be upon God and what he's done for us. And, and this is, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't let you in on this one. I should be thinking this one. But I will say it because I'm just trying to be honest. You'll give more if you realize how much he loves you than if I say give more. And so the problem with our vision is so often we go straight to what we're going to do or the tower that we're going to build. Whereas actually... I believe this story starts with what God has done for us. There's his ladder to us. It's not about us. It's all about him. Otherwise, we'll go away from this morning thinking, oh, what could I possibly do? Now, I'm glad you've asked that question because I do want to answer that one as well. And I think it's in the story. I believe that he had the grace that I've just said of forgiveness. I believe also we see in this the gift of friendship. Now, why do I say this? And I don't want to over-egg it, but I think that Jacob was a very lonely person. We know that he was traveling on his own. We know that in the culture that he lived in, that he was over 40 and single. And you say, how do you work that one out, Pete? Because it says to us in Genesis 26, verse 34, his twin brother Esau was 40, and that was two chapters ago. In fact, one commentary that I read said that by this stage, they think Jacob might have been 70 years young. 70. You said, oh, that's interesting. We know that, he, that the picture that I showed you earlier was wrong because it tells us later in Genesis 32 that the only thing he carried was his staff. It wasn't like suddenly packing up for this journey. My daughter, uh, Lois, is off to Uganda. She's going in a month's time. And already we're starting thinking, what kind of things will she need? And you start thinking, oh, what do we buy? What do we pack? And you suddenly think, how much would the airline let them take on? I mean, how much can you put in your pockets? How much could you put in your hand luggage? How much weight could you get out there? It wasn't like that for Jacob. Literally one staff. It, it, he says, I left and all I had in my hand was a staff. Surely that's as lonely as you can get. We've seen horrific pictures this week, haven't we? People have nothing. But what does God say in this? God says, I am the Lord. 
I will give you, I am with you, I will watch over you wherever you go, I will bring you back, I will not leave you, I have done what I have promised. And suddenly you think, okay, so this gift that God is offering us is friendship with him. He was offering this to Jacob. This was just this remarkable, it's almost like I am with you. And if you didn't hear it the first time, I'll say it again, I am, I am. And you think, okay, I heard it. No, I am, I heard you the first time. Well, he didn't because he said it six times. That's the beauty of this, isn't it? There's this friendship with God. Phil Moore, who's a pastor of a church in Wimbledon and writes several books, on his commentary on this says this, God is more than a blesser to be courted. He is also an ever-present help to be trusted. And there's almost this sense of actually, he thinks, God, wow, suddenly you're going to be my friend? Suddenly you're going to be with me? He didn't just have to think of, oh, God was, my, my dad talked about God, or my granddad used to talk about God. He says, God is for me. And that is the beauty of this, isn't it? It says in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I don't know what you're facing, but I know this. God is with you. It says us in the Bible. I mean, that's incredible. God is with you. You go to university for the first time. God is with you. You're going back to work and you've been doing it for 40 years. God is with you. You'd love a job. God is with you. You're retired. God is with you. You're waking up four times in the night to feed this lovely gift from heaven. God is with you. I mean, this is what this vision is, isn't it? I don't know what you faced this week, but I do know this. God is with you. And more than that, God gives you the gift of friendship with others. Well, how do I argue that from the passage? Because three times God says to him about his descendants. He says, your descendants, your descendants, and your offspring. We know that he was at least 40, could have been 70. He wasn't even married. But God says to him, I'm going to put you into a family. I'm going to establish you as a community. You're going to be part of this, this, this huge great descendants, this clan, this people. You're, and he must have thought, me? Are you talking to the wrong one? I tell you, you do not have to do life on your own. I love it just hearing Edward talking about, you know, oh, the church, oh, we're family. Yeah, there is loads of food, isn't there? Why is there loads of food? Because we can just chat to one another. We don't have to sort of run in and run out of a meeting. We can enjoy one another. There's the gift of friendship. Friendship with God, friendship with each other. That's why we pray and fast on the first Wednesday of each month. Why? Because we're saying, God, I want to build my friendship with you. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning, isn't it? What are we saying? We, God, I want to build my friendship with you. I want to build my friendship with one another. I mean, look around. This is, this is your bunch of friends. Nobody looked around. We still are quite British, aren't we? <laughs> I, I, it's not meant to put you off. It's meant to encourage you. Like, oh, well, there's a lot of local people. I'd like to get to know them. This is why we do like a ladies' breakfast. I know they've talked about it. Why is it? Oh, is it just because we want to clog up your Saturday mornings? Is it just that the guys have to stay at home and look after the kids? No. Yes. Oh, it is that as well. But no, actually, surely there's more than this. There's something. We just want to be friends with one another. We're, we're traveling together. You don't have to be like Jacob. 
I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I've often said that of living in a city. We just get isolated and lonely. We're not meant to be like that. We, we, that's why we do community groups. You know, it's not, uh, why would I go to community? Why? Because that's why I just connect with people. That's why suddenly something's going on in my life. I know they're going to help out. I know that they do meals for us or the family. I know that they give us a lift to the airport. I know that if you had a lawn, they'd come in and cut the lawn. If you live in a flat, they could hoover your carpet. I don't know. But this is the whole thing of how do we, how do we get to know one another? The last community meeting I went to in our group, I think there was four like words of knowledge. We were talking about gifts the other week, just for people in the room. I suddenly stopped praying and said, wow, I'm so glad I'm part of this community. Why? Because God has, has called us to be friends with him and friends with others. I mean, I think that's why we, we look forward to baptizing people. We've got a date coming up. Why? Because you're saying, actually, this is an expression of my friendship with you, God. I've died to myself. I'm living for you. I'm getting baptized. Why don't we do it in my bath at home? Because, actually, we're friends together. Why do we want to fill in a, a pool on a Sunday morning and have to bring it here and set it all up and fill it with ice-cold water and a little bit of warm? Because we're friends together. You see what I'm saying? And you might think, oh... I'd never realized baptism was a sign of I'm a friend of God and I'm a part of the family. Maybe I need to get baptized. Great. Because that's almost a working out of who we are. That's why we do dedications in the church. We've got another one coming up in November. Oh, 15th, I think it is. You can find all these things. It's on the website. But what, what's the thing? We are family together. If you're raising a kid here, we all want to be involved. When they're nice. When they're not, we'll hand them back. No, no, it's not quite like that, you know what I'm saying? But you think, come on, we're, we're family together, aren't we? I know many people that live in London, their immediate family aren't here. And I think, oh, golly, who's going to help? Well, that's why we're, we're on the journey together. You see, I think that the vision to him was you don't have to travel alone. I'm with you, and I'm going to build a community. And I think that's the same for you. Now, could I speak to some? that may be more like me than my wife. Our danger is our pride stops us entering the community. Our pride stops us recognizing our need of somebody else. And they say, how are you doing? You go, yeah, I'm all right. Underneath you think, I'm trying not to cry in public. But our pride just says, I'm okay. I, I, I'm just going to walk this road alone. Whereas actually, surely if we understood something like vision, it's, there's something of we're in this together. Friendship is not what I call wussy. And so I thought I'd quote Muhammad Ali, because when I was a kid, he was the biggest guy I could think of. Muhammad Ali, who's the, all, uh, uh, the heavyweight boxer in America, says this, friendship is not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you haven't really learned anything. I thought, oh yeah, great thing, isn't it? I think this, this was God's plan. And sometimes we just leave it to one side. Sometimes we've mislabeled it. Acquaintance becomes friend. Now we want to become friends. Gen Why do we ask people, if, you've, yeah, if you change, fill in a blue form. Why do we say that? Because we just want to connect. We want to be friends together. 
What do friends do? Well, William Shakespeare, the English poet, playwright, and actor says this, a friend is one that knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts what you've become, and still gently allows you to grow. I think, oh, isn't that a great definition of how we could believe? I believe that God's vision for Jacob was friendship. Friendship with God and friendship with others. I would love that to be our vision too. So what's the final thing I want to bring out of here? I think that God then gave him a goal of purpose. A goal of purpose. You see, Jacob had deceived his brother and deceived his father. And must have thought, golly, where's this all going? Where's my life about? He'd had to run, and he was hopefully going off to meet some uncle. God gets a hold of him, and in this vision says, I want you to realize I've got a purpose for your life. Now, how do I argue that? Well, I would argue that because he he introduces himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Abraham was his grandfather. Isaac was his father. And God had made promises to Abraham and then had repeated them to Isaac. You would have expected him then to have repeated them to Esau. Because that was the next in line. But actually God chose Jacob and says, I want you to be involved in my plans and my purposes. What are the plans and purposes? Well, we know with Abraham that God says, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And in fact, he repeats that here to Jacob. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to realize that you are to be a blessing to all the ends of the earth. He says, all people will be blessed through you. And you think, well, is that true, Pete? Are all people blessed through Jacob? Well, what we know is, if you read the book of Matthew, which is the first gospel in the New Testament, that where there's the list of descendants, Jacob is there. And therefore that Jesus is born in the line of Jacob. And all the earth could be blessed. And so basically what, what I believe the vision for Jacob was this. was I don't want you just to run away and think you've messed your life up. I want you to get caught up in my big story. You see, although the Bible is made up of 66 books, we often say there's only one story, really. The story is this, that God created the heavens and the earth and he wants a relationship with us. That was spoilt in the Garden of Eden when people turned and did their own thing. We call it sin. But then actually God says, I want to get back into relationship with you. Ultimately sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And the book ends, or should we say the next chapter begins, with Revelation, which is almost like we're all back in the city with God. And so there's this one big theme. And so what God, I believe, is saying in this vision is, Jacob, I want you to lift up and I want to give you some purpose in your life. You're running away with no prospects and no possessions and I want you to get a purpose. I want you to get caught up in my plans and my purposes. And I believe that will be the challenge for us. What the plans and purposes? I was reading this week, I think it's Buddha, says that the, the purpose of your life is to discover the purpose of your life. I thought, well, I'm not any clearer having read that. <laughs> well, it's actually, I think God says, I'll give you the purpose of your life. In fact, Jesus says it. 
He says it when he, he says to his disciples, having risen from the dead in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the earth. What's the purpose of life? The purpose of life, surely, is that we're going to get caught up in God's eternal story. And that is, I'm going to share good news with someone. Well, it could be then that your face ends up on a bus in Ealing. Because we're thinking, oh, how do we just let people know about this good news? How do we invite them along and say, hey, come and join us? We'd love to be doing that. I'd like to see, this should be out a week on Monday. Be there for 13 weeks. So. <laughs> Aidan and Maddie might want to hide. No, no, it's great, isn't it? Because we're saying to people, come along. That's why we're saying, come and meet at the town hall next Saturday morning at 9.30 to leave Doctor, Because actually we think, we want to catch other people up into this story. This is what God has called us to do. That's why it's a comedy night. You might say, I'm not really into comedy. Comedy is irrelevant for you. You're caught up in the big story, and the big story is this. Actually, God wants a relationship with people in Ealing. And if I turn up and I'm friendly, and if I turn up and bring my friends, I'm playing my part in his story. You know, you, you might say, well, Italian for 10 weeks, free? I'm not sure I can swallow that. Well, if you can't swallow that, swallow this. That's part of what God saved you for. Oh, I, I see it. My life has got purpose. Yes, I'm part of God's plans. Yes, that's why I'd want to be involved in this. That's why I, I want us as a church to be dreaming. I'd say, God, how do we get caught up in your story? We've got a couple coming to speak on the 6th of December. You can find all this it's in church app or whatever. I haven't got time to do it now. Joel and Amy, they're going out to plant a church in Istanbul. And as a church, we're saying that we want to be right behind you. So they're going to come and talk about it in December because we're saying, actually, God, we're not just here because we want to impact healing. We're here because we're going to impact healing, London, the nations of the world. And so I'm meeting this guy for coffee about a month ago. And I said, God, how could we get behind you? How could we be praying for you, sending money? We'd love to think, hey, what, Redeemer? We, you know, we've not even been going three years yet. What, we're going to impact Istanbul? I believe it, because we're caught up in God's story. That's why we do these things. And, and so even just this, this sort of, why do we do carol services? Oh, there was an S on the end of that. Yeah, I would love us this year to go for two. So we, we did our first one, we are up here, we had 200 people. Last year, we believed God for 300. We had 365. We can't keep growing at that rate because the room's not big enough. So I thought, why don't we go for two on a Sunday afternoon? Do you think, oh, which one could I come to? You could come to both. Why? Because you're caught up in God's big purposes. You could have 20 friends at the first and 20 at the second. You suddenly think, why is all this? Because I'm just caught up. God says, I want you to be caught up in what I'm doing. I want you to be caught up in the sense of history. I want you to be caught up in the story that you read. I wish I had time to go through some of these details. I'm involved this term. I still think a bit like a teacher. I know I haven't been teaching for a long time. In starting a, a church planting school. In fact, I was just looking at it this week. I think we've got 18 people booked on it from seven different churches. And it should be kicking off at the end of September. So us as a church, we can say, who knows? We're playing our part in seeing people train. Who knows where they could plant? Because why is that? Because we're caught up in the story of God. And, and I wish I could have longer to go through all these things. 
I, I want to end, I'm sort of landing a little bit here, with two challenges. The first thing is this. Jacob wakes up, and what's he most excited about? Well, it says it in the passage, doesn't it? Does he say, wow, I'm going to have wife, I'm going to have sex, I'm going to have kids? No, he wakes up and he says, God was here. And I tell you what I'm most excited about is when we gather God is here. You know, I could think I'm really excited about, man, what a good looking guy Richard is, eh? I think, man, I'd go to a camel service with a cool dude like that doing it, wouldn't you? Or I could wake up and think, genuinely, I think God is here. Bethel, the house of God, God is here. And I think if I had a vision for anything going forward, this term, this year, it would be, I genuinely believe God. Well, why would I make every effort to be honest, son? God is here. So I think that was the, the thing he did right. Now I'd like to bring the challenge from the life of Jacob. Because I think actually he did something slightly wrong. It says that he took the stone he'd slept on and made it a pillar. What's wrong with that? He put oil on it. Why did he do that? He wanted to remember the experience. Now we know that later on God said, I think it's in Deuteronomy, I don't want you doing that anymore. I don't think I've written the passage down. I apologize for that. If you want to know what it is, email me. I'll let you know this week. But God says, don't do that anymore. You're just copying the Canaanites and they are just establishing memorials to past events. You see, we know, because if you read the rest of Genesis, that Jacob goes off and spends 20 years with his uncle. He ends up marrying a couple of wives, has a couple of others on the side. You know, he's got a load of kids, comes back. He says, well, God really did bless me. We know that he goes back to Bethel. We know that before he gets to Bethel, he says to all his family and, and wives and all that kind of stuff, look, if you've got any other foreign gods, we're going to have to get rid of them. They bury them under the tree. If you're wearing these earrings or anything that, you know, is worshipping other, we're going to get rid of it. And it says that he goes back to Bethel and he builds an altar. And I want to challenge us. In this place of meeting with God, do we erect a pillar, which is a memorial to something God has done? Or will we build an altar? Because to me, there's a massive difference between the two. The pillar is, oh, that was quite an interesting experience. Yeah, I logbook that, you know. Took the photo, put it on my Facebook page. The altar means... I've died to everything. You see, the altar was a place of, of death and consecration. And so I would say that it took him 20 years to behave as he should have done under the vision of God. 20 years later, he comes back and says, okay, I'm actually now ready to die to myself. The first time he says, if you, then I will. 20 years later, you're not doing that. You're building an altar and you're saying, God, I worship you. I want to challenge us. If we've seen something of God, do we give him our all? Or are we still holding back? If we've had a vision of God, are we just building an altar to a nice feeling? Or are, sorry, a pillar to a nice feeling, to an experience? Or are we building an altar, the altar that says, literally, I, I will die on this. 
I feel challenged myself. Hugely challenged. I love living in London. You know, it's like, I think, who wouldn't want to live in London? I think the people around, the events. I'm going to proms in the park on Sunday at Saturday afternoon. Who wouldn't want to do that? Am I prepared to die for Jesus Christ? To my life? Am I prepared to say, look, I'll serve him, whatever it takes? Am I prepared to give? Do I suddenly think next week, oh, how much could I come and give? Or do I think, how much could I get away with? That's not for me. I mean, that's all going to tear fun next week. You see, I just think, oh, God, I want to be so captivated that I wake up and say, God is in this place. And then I want to so live that I don't just build a little memorial. I want to literally say, all I am. Sometimes we sing a song here. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth to eternity. I pray that is our prayer as we're captivated by this vision of God.